started getting scared. I was like, I don't know if I can write a second book. What if it was a one-time thing? What if it was a fluke? <laughs> what if I can't think of anything else? Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I'm your host, author Sarah Nicholas and literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Addison Armstrong is a historical fiction author and a third grade teacher. She grew up in South Florida and currently lives in Nashville, Tennessee with her husband. She started writing The Light of Luna Park in 2019 during her junior year of college and had it published with Putnam in 2021. Her next novel, The War Librarian, will come out on August 9th. So please welcome Addison to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. We're going to talk about your journey to publication today, and we're going to start by going all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from there before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? I have loved writing since I was a kid. Like, in pre-K, I was telling people, when I grow up, I want to be a teacher and an author. <laughs> so I've always been interested in writing. So, you know, in that sense, it took me 20 years from <laughs> when my interest started. You know, was never really sure, you know, that I could publish a book. My elementary school teachers always said, you know, let me know when you publish one day, like send me a signed copy. <laughs> There's always this like vague sense that I could do it, but, you know, never felt that realistic. But I was in college and I was home over the summer. My whole family likes to write and I think just jokingly, my mom and my sister and I were like, let's all write a novel this summer. And we said, you know, mom's going to write a cozy mystery. I'll write historical fiction. And my sister Ryan will write um, young adult. And, you know, we kind of said it and then forgot about it. But I actually did it. And my first manuscript was actually not what would become The Light of Luna Park. It was a manuscript about um, the Titanic, but not people on the Titanic, letters on the Titanic. It was a mail ship. So there was a lot of mail loss, you know, that never reached its destination when the ship sunk. So that was the first manuscript. And I was honestly just kind of surprised I even finished it. You know, mm -hmm. I'd been writing, like I said, since I was like four years old, but I had never actually finished a novel length project before. And so I was kind of shocked. But then I read through it and I thought, you know, this isn't terrible. I might as well try, <laughs> you know, try to get it published. So I started sending it to agents and, you know, time after time and time again, it was you know, no response or a no, or, Ooh, I'll read the full and then a no. <laughs> and so I knew that that was going to drive me insane. You know, if all I was doing was waiting, waiting for that, and then just getting disappointed again and again. So I was like, okay, I need to start another project in the meantime. And that's when I started the light of Luna park. And then about by the time I'd exhausted literally every agent in the universe who took, you know, like historical <laughs> fiction, um, Luna Park, the draft was finished. And so it was very easy. Like it really wasn't painless at all to push away that other manuscript manuscript and start um, wearing the light of Luna Park instead. So that's kind of how it happened. <laughs> I love that. I love that you said you're going to become an author and a teacher when you grow up and you're now an author and a teacher. <laughs> the bet with your sister and mother. Like I just, I love that so much. <laughs> All right. So once you decided that you wanted to query a book, how did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how it works, how to query, how to go about everything? Definitely just Google. Like I knew nothing going in. You know, I had no idea that you couldn't submit to publishers themselves, you know, directly. I had no idea how any of it worked. Um, so it was just a lot of, you know, manuscript wish list and agencies websites and 
just like longest spreadsheet ever. (laughs) (laughs) And just lots of cold emails. I mean, I really had had no clue. And I think one thing that, you know, I didn't really, I want to say I didn't realize because it was probably obvious and I was probably just impatient, but I feel like those first few batches of agents I sent the manuscript out to, like it just wasn't the best it could have been yet. Mm -hmm. And I just was so excited. You know, I was... I was probably in my junior year of college. Maybe I was a sophomore still. I think I was a junior. And I just got so excited that I'd finished something that I was like, okay, time to send it off <laughs> without <laughs> really doing anything with it first. Yeah. You know, I really had no sense of how competitive it is, how many queries people are getting, how little they can sometimes read before they make a decision. Mm-hmm. So I didn't necessarily put my best foot forward at first. Yeah. I think a lot of people go through that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Once you finished the Luna Park book, what happened? Can you break down from then to your journey to sending your first book contract? Yes. So I actually, conveniently, <laughs> I was home for the summer because I was in college. Um, I was home in Miami or near Miami. And the Miami Writers Institute was doing like a workshop, um, I don't know, a whole conference, writing conference. And I was only there for the tail end of it, but I signed up for a manuscript, uh, not a manuscript consultation, but like a first 10 pages consultation with an agent. So the idea was they would look at your first 10 pages, you know, since that's typically what you're sending to agents um, and tell you what to fine tune, what to change, what to keep so that agents have more interest in those first 10 pages. And so, you know, I was doing it solely to improve my chances at querying other agents. But when I got there, she said, "There, I love this. Like, I want to read the whole thing already. I have no tips for the first 10 pages. Please give me the whole manuscript. Mm. Um, that was Melissa Danasco. And that was in May, I think, before my senior year of college. And so I said, okay, you know, I want to edit it some more. I, wanna, I didn't want to make the same mistake again. <laughs> you know, like I want it to be perfect when I send it to you. So give me a few months. And, you know, after I think I sent it again in like October, I sent it out to her and a couple other agents as well. And then she offered representation. And then so did another one who I had just emailed. Mm. Um, I had to decide between the two of them, which I hated. You know, I (laughs) would not have expected that to be such a miserable part of the process because, you know, it was what I wanted. It was, you know, agents, it was offers of representation. But I guess I'd been on the receiving end of the rejections for so long that I hated having to turn around and reject someone else. But I talked to them about the book itself, but also other directions I could go in. Like you said, I'm a teacher. So I thought, you know, if I want to write middle grades one day or want to do something else. And Melissa was very supportive of that and very much like, we'll see where it goes. That's totally fine. Let's be flexible. And so that's kind of what made the decision for me. And so I signed with Melissa in November-ish of my senior year, which was 2019, 2019. And then we went through a couple of rounds of edits back and forth. She used to be an editor. um, So we did some like serious rounds of edits (laughs) and then sent it off to about 15 publishers, you know, that she had handpicked. And it got picked up in that first round by Tara uh, Singh Carlson at um, Putnam, part of Penguin. Mm. And that was, I think, January of 2020, maybe a little bit later, but I was student teaching. So I just remember taking the call when I was like sweeping the classroom. The kids were in PE. <laughs> I was sweeping because we'd done some project and they made a huge mess. So I'm like, I have the broom in one hand and the phone in one hand. I'm trying to sound you know, professional and not like a 20 year old <laughs> sweeping a glitter off the floor. Yeah. So she was the first one that offered and it was, you know, Melissa said that she was really her first pick when she made that list. It was a good offer. It was a two book contract and it was Penguin. So, you know, I said yes. (laughs) Awesome. 
your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Oh, it is time for the first cue of the podcast. Can you read your successful query letter for us? I'm confident that you would be a strong representative for Althea and Stella as they're two utterly different but strong-willed women. New York City, 1926. Nurse Althea Anderson devotes herself to her patients despite the long hours, low pay, and male doctor skepticism. But when she's forced to make a choice between a baby's life and medical convention, she delves into Coney Island's sideshows and plunges her orderly life into chaos. Poughkeepsie, 1951. Stella Wright is tired. She's tired of her job teaching students with special needs. She's tired of fighting with her husband, and she's tired of missing her mom. In an effort to escape her grief and guilt, Stella returns to her childhood home and finds a letter casting her entire identity into question. Who is Stella Wright? What was Stella's mother hiding? And who will Stella become? Traveling from the chaos of Bellevue Hospital to the incongruity of Luna Park's incubator wards, Stella Starr follows two women through events that tested not only their bravery, but their values. Decades apart, Althea and Stella will confront questions of dishonesty, disobedience, and disability. Stella Starr will be my debut novel, but I've spent my entire life reading and writing, I'm currently an undergraduate at Vanderbilt University, double majoring in elementary education and language and literacy studies and minoring in special education. I'm eager to break into the literary world, which has always felt like my second home. The first three chapters are below. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. So how has your experience been since signing that contract? Especially let us know if there was anything that surprised you along the way. I didn't expect a two-book contract. I had no idea that was customary. Um, And from what I hear, it's becoming more and more common. I you know, don't know if that's true, but I was not ready for that. You know, on that first call in the, you know, classroom when I was sweeping, Tara asked me, what other ideas do you have? You know, and I figured she was just trying to make sure that I had something, you know, in my, up my sleeve. So I just listed a whole bunch of things. I mean, probably half a dozen, a dozen ideas that I hadn't really thought about much, didn't, you know, wasn't committed to it all, but, you know, it crossed my mind, mm-hmm. um, you know, historical events that were interesting time places, you know, whatever. And then when I got my contract, it was for the light of Luna park, as well as for a second novel about world war one war librarians, which had just been one of the ideas I had tossed out. So I looked at that and I was like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, writing Luna park, I only half thought it would ever even make it into the world. And it was on my own timeline. It was on my own, you know, everything. It was a hobby. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people always ask how I found time to write it when I was in school, but it was just fun. You know, you find time to watch Netflix or to, you know, go out with your friends. And I enjoyed writing. So I found time to write. But once I signed that contract and that second book was, you know, under contract, it was a job, you know, it felt less like a hobby Mm -hmm. and more like a job. And it was a lot harder to write that second book, which I know, a lot of authors say, and, you know, people are always speculating on why, but it was interesting because it was when I was home, it was, you know, COVID hit. And so I went home from school. Uh, I was home for several months and that's when I was writing the war librarian. And it was still so much harder, despite the fact that I had all the time in the world to write it as opposed to five minutes between classes. I still obviously love to write and I enjoy it, but it did sort of change my outlook (laughs) in terms of, Mm -hmm. you know, when the pressure's there, it's, it's, not it's not the same as it was before 
But it also kept me, I think, from giving up. You know, the Luna, Light of Luna Park sort of wrote itself. Like I knew what the story was going to be. I knew who the characters were. The War Librarian, I really had to work at it. I think if I hadn't been under contract, I would have given up on it. You know, there were a lot of times I thought, oh, this plot doesn't work. You know, this, I just need to scrap it. But I couldn't scrap it because I'd signed a contract. And so it was, you know, a good thing also in that it forced me to write something that was really, really rough at first. But, you know, with revision became something that I'm really excited about. Mm. Thanks. It is time for our quick round. I call it author DNA. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Definitely pantser. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Underwriter. Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? Morning. When starting a new project, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else first? The history. I start with the research. Hmm. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Tea. When writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Um, Music distracts me, but some background noise is good. When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? Get it down. What tools or software do you use to draft? Just Word. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Drafting, but revising has grown on me. (laughs) (laughs) Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? I write in sequential order for each timeline, but I do the timeline separately. Oh. Final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Definitely an introvert. (laughs) (laughs) So you read your query and now we're going to get into the second cue of the podcast. What were some of the qualms or worries that you had on your journey and were they realized or did you overcome them or how did they shake out? You know, that initial journey was not so difficult. Well, it was difficult. Obviously, I got a lot of rejections, but emotionally it was fine. Like I wasn't too stressed out about it. It kind of still felt like a shot in the dark. So it was like exciting if I, you know, did get good news and sort of expected if I didn't. It was like I said, once I signed that second contract or that contract for that second book that I started getting scared. I was like, I don't know if I can write a second book. What if it was a one-time thing? What if it was a fluke? (laughs) What if I can't think of anything else? And, you know, I still sort of have that fear, right? Like I don't have a contract for book three and I'm working on it, but I'm, you know, as I'm typing, I'm like, but what if it's not as good? What if people don't like it? And I think, you know, most of it, most of those qualms have come definitely post contract, but also kind of post publication as opposed to beforehand. Yeah. It's just, it's <laughs> scary. I mean, it's, it's what people have said, you know, before it's nothing new, but once that first book's out there, you feel like there's pressure to live up to it and surpass it. And that's scary. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? Nothing too special. I mean, I mentioned that I write the two timelines because I write dual, both of my books are dual timeline, that I write them separately. For that first manuscript that I wrote that did not get published, I did it chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, you know, alternating. Um, it felt more natural and it was more fun because I got to switch back and forth <laughs> because my attention span is zero. (laughs) But the feedback I was getting was that that second timeline didn't really stand alone. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I started writing them separately so that each one has to have its own full arc. So that's one, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it a quirk, but one, you know, distinct, distinct thing about my writing process. I'm also, if I'm stuck, I'll use pen and paper Mm -hmm. and it, I guess, doesn't feel like it has to be as good. It feels less official. So I'm able to get more down. And then as I type it, up later, I can fix it and make it, you know, less atrocious if need be. And I do my research a lot of times as I'm writing. So I have very little, Uh like, uninterrupted word producing time, you know, I'll spend, 
a long time doing my research before I start. I just, I love research. I love history, but then I'll do it on like every page. <laughs> so there's a lot of like back and forth between mm-hmm. you know, Microsoft Word and Google. <laughs> when you were in the lowest parts of your journey, whatever that may have been for you, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? having another project to work on. So when I was getting those rejections for that first manuscript, it didn't bother me so much because I was working on The Light of Luna Park. And so I had something else to devote my energy to and my thoughts and my hopes, you know, like it didn't matter if this was getting no's because I had something else. And I think that's sort of continued to be my strategy. I mean, even when I was writing the second book, I had like a middle grades project that, you know, no one has really read, you know, there's no contract, there's no nothing, at least not yet. It doesn't mean that I'll never publish it, but I was writing it with no expectations and no pressure. And that made it easier to write the one that I was actually on deadline for. So I think always having a project that you're working on just for fun keeps you sane when the projects that you're working on for work might (laughs) be causing some stress. (laughs) Yeah. What do you feel like are some of the mistakes that you made along the way that you might want to warn listeners about? So maybe they don't make the same ones. (laughs) Um, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, I definitely rushed into that first, those first queries because I was just so excited and like being excited is great, but you also have to, you know, take a step back. I think that's the biggest one that comes to mind. I feel like so many of the other things, at least the writing specific things are so dependent on the person. You know, I've heard so many people say that they have to do the timelines. They have to write them alternating um, or they don't fit together. I have to do them separate or they don't stand alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've definitely learned throughout the process mistakes that I've made, but things that might not be mistakes for other people. Um, I definitely think also just ask your agent questions. It's okay to look stupid. Like she doesn't care <laughs> because- yeah. I was clueless. I had no idea what there were, you know, what things meant in my contract. I had no idea what to expect for, you know, in regard to several things. I had no idea what, that there would be a second book. I had no idea how to go about writing a second book because, you know, I need to submit an outline and previous one, I'd just gone by the seat of my pants, you know, and I was sometimes hesitant or shy to ask Melissa about those things, but she was always there, always had an answer, never judged me for it. You know, so I think it's scary sometimes because it's sort of a bizarre professional relationship. You don't know who's really the boss and who's the client. <laughs> you know, it's kind of both ways. Definitely that's something that I, I wish I had been more aware of, you know, that the agent, she, she was there not just to connect me to editors, but to bounce ideas off of and ask questions. Yeah, definitely. Uh, don't be afraid to ask your agent questions. And if they make you feel afraid to ask questions, <laughs> then maybe you, you probably find a different agent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Melissa's the sweetest. So... <laughs> Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication? I think, I mean, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but really to <laughs> me, the biggest thing is just having a project just for fun. Because, you know, I've known people who majored in music in college and then decided they hated it, you know, something they loved their whole lives because suddenly it had become work. And I feel like it can become the same with writing. You know, you love it. It's just a hobby. It's your passion. And then suddenly it's work and you're thinking about deadlines and you're thinking about money and you're thinking about what people will see when they read it. And so having something on that, you know, back burner that's not for the public eye, at least not yet, has not only kept me sane, but also just kept the fun. Like it's fun to write something when you're not doing it as work. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned. Like, 
you know, you don't, there also doesn't have to be a purpose for everything. You know, I feel like sometimes now I'll sit down to research something I think is interesting. And then I'm like, ah, I can't write a book about this though. So I shouldn't bother with the research. Like, but you know, there doesn't have to be an end product. I can just learn about something because I want to learn about it because it's interesting history, even if I can't write a book about it for whatever reason. So I think reminding myself to still find the joy and, you know, passion that I have for history and for writing, you know, and not seeing it just as work is probably the biggest thing. Hmm. I call this the acknowledgements section of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. Mm -hmm. So who are some of the people or organizations who helped you along the way and how? Definitely my family. My parents and my sister have always been so, so, so supportive. And, you know, the bet with mom and Ryan definitely helped. Um, My teachers, too, growing up, like I mentioned, they always, we did a lot of writing at my elementary school, like a lot. And so I always loved it. I always felt well-equipped to do it. Um, And they always told me I was good at it, you know, which is important to grow up thinking that you're good at something. Obviously, it makes a big difference. And then I also, here in Nashville, I went to a workshop at the porch, which was really fun. You know, a bunch of people just got to bring their manuscripts and we would, each person would get a week to be critiqued and we would do, you know, a different like element of craft every week too. And so that was really, really neat. And then of course the Miami Writers Institute um, where I met Melissa was great. But I think the biggest credit to my parents and my teachers. (laughs) Awesome. All right, Addison, before you go, can you tell us about the War Librarian, which comes out in August? I would love to. So the War Librarian is another dual timeline. So the first one is 1918 and Emmeline Balakin is a worker at the Dead Letter Office. She you know, sits at a desk all day intercepting letters that have been returned or have not been able to get to their destination and deciphering where they're supposed to go. And eventually a letter lands on her desk that's from someone who she knows or used to know. And she's not supposed to open it. She's not supposed to read it, but she does. And she's not a rule breaker. This is you know, very bizarre for her. And it sends her on this journey to France where she ends up as a hospital librarian for American soldiers who've been wounded in World War One. And she's there dealing with, you know, the secret identity, the secret you know, that she opened this letter, dealing with censorship. The um, War Department was censoring the books they were allowed to give mm. to the soldiers and all sorts of things there. And then in 1976, Kathleen is a woman who is entering the first co-ed class at the Naval Academy. And she ends up, (laughs) um, her grandmother passes away and she is dealing with that grief. She's dealing with a lot of harassment from the men and then a letter from decades before that threatens to get her expelled from the academy. So she has to sort of solve the mystery and defend her spot there against everyone who doesn't want her to have it. (laughs) All right. Sounds fascinating. Addison, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Addison's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, Please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.